This edition of 100 Not Out proudly brought to you by the 2019 Greek Island Longevity Experience in Ikaria. Join Damien Christoph and myself for 10 days on the island where people forget to die. Live with the locals, drink the wine, eat the food and discover the longevity lifestyle with a select group of like-minded people just like you who will become friends for life. Activities include stunning hikes, cooking classes, essential oil workshops, festivals and dancing, grape stomping and wine harvesting, village hopping, beach days on the Aegean Sea, farming and foraging with the locals and so much more. For dates, details, highlights of previous events and to apply, go to 100notout.com. Group size limited to 16 and applications processed on a first-in, first-served basis. TheWellnessCouch.com streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you, and I am flying solo today as my brother from another mother, the great Dr. Damien Christoph, is returning from a family trip in Hawaii. He will be back on the next episode to help us uh, once again. Now, there are certain guests from 100 Not Out who just stick in your mind. Well, they stick in my mind, and no matter how you know rarely we might speak to people, they are always there in the back of your mind, in the soup of your thoughts, and Jan Smith is one of those people. Now, Jan gets a regular mention on the 100 Not Out podcast, largely due to her initial efforts in climbing Everest, scaling it on her 68th birthday to become the oldest Western woman in the world to reach the summit. But it is far more than this achievement that makes Jan a model for the 100 Not Out lifestyle. Jan, after climbing Everest, decided to scale the seven peaks, that is the seven highest mountains on the seven continents of the world, and she was on track to accomplish this by the time she was 70. And then a number of hurdles hit. Despite some major challenges, Jan is determined to conquer all seven. There are six down and one to go. And amongst these challenges, uh, or while she's been dealing with them, Jan has been doing some incredible work, all of which we will find out on this episode. Jan, it is a very warm welcome back to 100 Not Out for the fifth time, would you believe it? Oh, yes. I guess that's some sort of record, is it? Well, you know what? It actually is. I was thinking about it. No one else. Uh, we are we are 300 episodes young or five uh, five years, and it averages out wow. that we speak to you on an annual basis once a year to check in on, on how you're going and, and what you're up to. But I don't think there's anyone that's been on this podcast uh, more than twice, maybe three times. Uh, so, yes, you have the, you have another world record that you can add to your to your list of many. Um you have been a busy girl, just to educate people. There is a mountain um, in North America that is known as Denali, Mount McKinley in the old days. This is your your seventh and final mountain to climb. Can you educate people on, on just give them a background uh, for people that may not have listened to the previous four interviews with you, um, on what you've accomplished so far and what is left uh, on the agenda? Yes, it would be my third attempt, and I'm sort of baffling the ageing process mainly to get back there. Um, The previous two, one time I wasn't wearing my helmet because it kept slipping over my eyes, and I cached it at a lower camp to stop the uh, the bears digging it out. They put it six foot under the snow, and then the um, my guide was the OH&S chap who'd written the manual, and he wouldn't let me ascend the uh, one rope section, which is steep but no overhanging rock without a helmet. And I said, well, there's no overhanging rock. What's the problem? 
And he said, well, um, I've written the manual and you, you're not allowed to do it and <laughs> someone might drop their camera. So we turned round at, you know, uh, one climb, one camp before the summit and I was so frustrated uh, and angry that I, I built an igloo that night. I cut it out. He cut it out of a, a sort of flattish piece of the permafrost and big blocks and then you line it up in a igloo shape and I, I didn't quite get to the roof but I said well I'm sleeping here tonight because I didn't want to really be near the guys I was so angry and I thought eventually I'm going to melt into tears and I don't want them to to hear that so they I, they said oh well, you come in if there's a storm and I said oh well, maybe so I sort of stayed in there they they I put um an ice axe at the entrance to my igloo like keep out you guys and um so one of the, the kind of younger one sort of tried to skate a, uh, a hot water bottle across the ice to me and I just turned it around. So I was in high Dutch and really very disappointed. So that oh, yeah. was that time. The, other, the next time I was only gardening fit and it became apparent when we started the summit bid and the um, two guides roped me a fair way apart because a lot of um, crevasses on Denali so the problem is if one, if you go down, they have to have time to anchor with an ice axe to stop uh, you pulling the uh, the party down. So they were a long way away on their ropes, and I thought, gosh, my quads are not strong enough for this. I haven't done enough training. And I called out, I need to sit on this rock. I need to stop and have a rest. So I stopped. But um, I think the lead guy was so far ahead, he didn't hear. He felt a jerk on the rope. And that means um, on Denali, they don't rope you to the mountain, unlike Everest. They anchor you to each other. So if one goes over off the ledge, off a ridge, um, you know, you tend to take the ones you rope to with you. Wow. So he got, he got a fright and um, he looked back. He, I was just sitting on the rock. But because he thought I'd had a fall, um, that alarmed him enough that he didn't want to go on. And the one behind thought I was, you know, I was a bit slow. I didn't, didn't look strong enough, and um, I was disappointed but inclined to agree. So I climbed to the next ridge, and I said, I just want to look at the summit. So I've got a photo of the gradient in my mind, and I still carry that gradient. I know I've got to be fit to do that at around, you know, wherever you are, 6,000 metres. So um, I'm getting strength chaining in my um, quads, um, my thighs for... Um, the next climb, and I'm guided by um, a physio who says I've got to push twice my weight um, just with, with my, you know, leg action. So I'm working on that specific group of muscles and trying to just protect my hips, which are not doing so well with the ageing process. <laughs> so that's what I'm up to. Now, so, and yes, so, yeah, you go on. Gradient, I think this is as steep as the summit of Denali. So it's just like a picture I have in my mind that I constantly – replay. So you're joining us from the Mornington Peninsula this morning where you do some hill climbing as you say when you're when you're around down Arthur's Seatway. But yeah now if we fast forward or bring up bring listeners up to the current day, you scaled Everest um what was it the day after I think your sixty eighth birthday. You are now seventy four. My understanding is you want to get to the top of Denali by the time you're seventy five, which would which would I think I don't know the records, but I think that would make you for sure, the oldest woman ever to live that would have climbed the seven peaks, that's the seven highest mountains in the seven continents 
of the world. Can you just enlighten us? What are the other six? Well, we've got Everest. Uh, I know we've covered this off yeah. on previous episodes. Um, you've done Everest. Australasia. Kosciuszko doesn't count. It's too low. Neither does Mount Hutton, New Zealand. So for Australasia, um, they have Carson's Pyramid in West Papua, Papua New Guinea. West Syrian Jaya, that's just around 5,000. And that's the cut off. That's the entry point, isn't it? It has to be a minimum 5,000 feet high. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. that's a five-hour rock climb to get to that ridge. It's quite interesting. So Kilimanjaro is on the equator, so you can do that any time of year. That's, and that's Africa? Volcano. Yes. So, so that's, that's Africa. About, yeah, five and a half, I think. Yep. And then on the continent, uh, the continent of Europe, it's Elbrus in Russia, which yep. is next to Georgia. So you go above a ski field. The snowplow gives you a bit of a um, a lift up, and then you you got rope sections with guides to the top of that one. So that's the um, European summit, which competes with. Um, uh, Mont Blanc, but the Russians reckon theirs is higher. So <laughs> that one was a one-shot one. Yep. Hilly was one well shot. Um, Papua New Guinea was one shot. I took two for, um, well, three for Everest, but yep. uh, two for um, Aconcoa, they pronounce it in Spanish in, in Argentina. That's and that's right. the highest after Everest. It's just under 7,000 metres, about six nine. And um, the first time I got waylaid in screen I was sort of treadmilling and getting exhausted and I wanted to go on you know later and later and people are saying what are you doing you'll kill your guide and you know you can't sleep up there you'll freeze and blah 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 so um we I agreed to turn back if I could have a go the next day <laughs> the guide said the next day I think the same thing would happen you know so I had a second shot at that after I was diagnosed with uh type 1 diabetes and uh, I had to cancel and learn how to manage it and how to inject and how to take my tablets and blah, blah. And so a month later I rebooked and um, I, they had a, it was a very good company, inexperienced climbers, so we went fairly slowly and we went around the scree on hard-packed snow and rock instead of trying to cross it. And that was a much better plan. I thought I'd take a shortcut diagonal. I didn't realise I'd just be treadmilling, <laughs> going nowhere. And the big rocks were moving. Everything just moved down the mountain. Wow. So going around the edge was excellent. And it was comparatively easy. And I kept saying, I said to my guide, well, I'm trying to catch up with Max, the leader. And they said, oh, but he's behind you. And I thought, gee, all I have to do, keep going, past a few of the slow people in front of me. I ditched my backpack by then. And I'm going to be first on the summit, which is always important to me, especially with a kind of amateur group. I'm always hoping I'm going to be first. And most of the talk is, I'm going to try and beat Jan today. I'm going to beat Jan today. And I think, all right, just try. So there I was, sitting up on top of Aconcoa and the first on the mountain. I must say, I had a little nap up there. Well done. And then you feel so elated, you sort of run down. So that was that one. And then um, the Antarctic. Um is the massive, um, and that's uh, only around five thousand. It feels like more because it's at the north, uh, the South Pole, and the spin factor apparently affects your feeling sense of, of altitude. That's um, a ninety percent success rate. It's a very interesting trip in a big Russian um, cargo plane through the night, and because it's summer in the summer season, and they have they're just breaking up the camps. Um, from 
research and, you know, the teams that live in Everest during, um, on the Antarctic during the summer months and then they pack up and go home. So you, there's a huge Union base camp there. You land on blue ice in this great big plane. You're in your full snow gear with all your um, down triple lined insulation and you get out at about two in the morning it's bright light and they give you a big roast dinner in the oh, mess yeah. camp and you sleep overnight in little tents and then they fly you up to, to first camp in little twin otters if everything's dependent on the weather and then you start your climb from there. As I said, it's a 90% success rate so it's really not that hard and it's a very interesting journey flying four hours from the tip of South America which is the, your takeoff point. And um, so that one was relatively easy. Um, so I think have we got to yeah, the they're, Yeah, they're the six. So Kilimanjaro, yeah. Carson's Pyramid, Elbrus, Everest, Aconcagua, Antarctica. And so Denali will be your third and final attempt uh, before May 26, and you will be the oldest woman ever to live to climb all seven peaks. But it has been a, a challenging uh, – it hasn't all been smooth sailing for you. I mean, I know we've uh, – Touched on this briefly in earlier uh, earlier podcast, but you have the, you've had this Baruli ulcer, which I'm going to put a photo of it up on the show notes because I don't want to I don't want to talk about it too much. People might just draw a reach whilst they they hear it. But um, this Baruli ulcer that you that you suffered, you know, which which went on for two years plus, and perhaps a bit of medical mismanagement in there, and some antibiotics that weren't quite doing the trick, and all of the rest of it. But that was just a a massive challenge. Just to tell us about the challenges. I suppose you mentioned at the beginning of the interview. I don't want to call it ageism. Um, don't don't know that it, it's wise to say there's discrimination because of your age. But you've said that there's you know the aging process is a challenge. But how do you find so many people have got um, age related excuses, but they're in their twenties or their thirties or or their forties. How do you find the will to do what you're doing at um, 74 years young? Because a lot of people would say that there's not that same fire in the belly um, for themselves. Where does that come from for you? I guess I've always been ambitious and I always like being first and and I like to try and do records, you know. And so um, I didn't realise that as you got older, that actually got easier based on age. <laughs> <laughs> that's the hidden secret. That's, yes, that's it. There's less less competitors. <laughs> yeah, so more that's always been something that's kind of just part of your personality, I suppose. It has. Yeah. And I think, you know, like in veteran events, um, some of my friends who still do triathlon in their seventies, and they just say to the uh, diminishing number of competitors, like getting to a handful. Well, I'll just be happy if I pull up without an injury or if I finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you've no. also been – I mean, the thing that I love about you, Jan, is you don't rest on your laurels. You're, you're still working um, as a psychologist a few days a week. Um, and the other thing that I love is that you've really taken on this project down at your property in Tukgarook. You've, you've educated me on the phone about it. Would you be kind enough to share it with our listeners what you've been up to because we're really big on the podcast that having um, – 
I don't want to call this a hobby because it's a it's much bigger than a hobby. But having interests outside of work is so important. And for so many people, they're they're nine to five, and that could be whether they're um, a stay at home parent or they're working or they're doing bits and pieces part time this part time that. If, if people don't have a, an outlet outside of the nine to five that they they're really passionate about, then the quality of our life can be somewhat diminished. So, can you educate people on what you've been doing to really, I suppose, not just keep your brain active, but your body more than active as well well we were lucky enough to purchase a remnant between two developments on the mornington peninsula at a place called tootgarook which is the sound the local frog makes in aboriginal and because it was untouched by fire or development or chemicals or clearing we've got a, a moon of woodland of about two and a half acres and it's um We've had it for a couple of decades and I've, um, I've got a very green daughter and she resourced some um, people who, who are experts and did a site visit and managed to identify the threatened species and so on. And so we realised uh, that we had a little treasure and it's a very bushy block. You have to park in the court and walk in because it's just um, a natural drive of leaf mulch and it's got overhanging archways of, of tea trees. And we have a barbecue here and we have an annual barbecue either Christmas or Christmas in July and invite all our friends down. We're lucky to have a huge collection of leafy greenhood orchids, which is one of about five or six species identified. They're very tiny and understated, but they're they're beautiful native orchids. And the Moona Woodland has some huge old trees which are getting towards a thousand years old. Um, Gidget Walker, every time she comes, she makes them older. And they have multiple trunks. They're pitted when they're 100 years old and they have a beautiful canopy of a lacy foliage and a sort of creamy um, little flower that the uh, bees and things love in the spring. So we've also got wattles, and uh, which are quite rare, and a she-oak, which self-generates, which is apparently a bit unusual. They become huge. And we've got a, a, um, a plant called, a tree called um, Berseria, which is like, it's got a little purse-like seed, which is the Bursus purse, and they're just proliferating everywhere. Wow. So the more I clear, and I've done about probably seven-eighths now with a bit of help from local, ab- well, Aboriginal um, chaps training to be park rangers, and um We've now registered with Trust for Nature, and there's a. Um, I've redrafted the document with identifying a hundred different sp- plant species, about fifty indigenous and some sp- threatened, and about fifty blow-in introduced, which you totally uh, spend lots of your time weeding. And so it's just before the minister now, after the revision, waiting to be signed off. And then it will be a, have a covenant, which means it can't be um, developed or subdivided and you are obliged to have a weed management program. So it's a bit of a <laughs> lifelong commitment. It's and all... we have had help. Sorry. No, no, go on, go on. And we have had help with the weeding, these Aboriginal guys, some of the um, Trust for Nature um, had a, a sort of, won a grant and they ran this course at Chisholm to institute for um, descendants of the local tribes of the Yarra Ranges and the Peninsula 
and they um, train them in um, conservation management of the national parks. So they came and did 40 hours. And when I was feeling overwhelmed with my little bow saw and hand tools, you know, tree by tree, doing what they call a, a fill and thrill, which means you make a cut like a ring bark and poison it. There's no way to get out the big woody weeds, the big trees, without doing that. And you disrupt the whole seed bank if you try and rip them out by the roots because it's all layered. And as long as you clear, and I have this repeated delight, which is so rewarding, you'll get the regrowth of the natives. So now we've got, you know, 90% native in most areas, just this little pocket, which is a forest of woody weeds, Bessaria and Catoniaster. And they seed like crazy and they outgrow the natives. So, you know, I got a, a leg up with uh, 40 hours from these guys came, left half their tomahawks behind. But um, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a big help. And so I just, I keep thinking I'm going to be finished by Christmas every year. And I never am. But um, I'll keep at it. And um, so we're quite thrilled. It's taken several years to get that covenant um, with trust for nature, and now it's just in the queue to be signed off by the minister. Well, we look forward to yeah. seeing it. It's a wonderful project, and like you said, it's it's taking you some time. I look forward to coming down when I'm on the Mornington Peninsula next. My my grandfather had a, a massive family holiday home down in Tukaroo. My my um my mum is one of 15 kids, Jan, and uh, I don't know yeah. how they did it, but somehow 15 kids piling into one car. No, mate, let's say it was two cars. From Ivanhoe dare to Tukaruk every Catholic? year. Yeah. Dare I ask, were they Catholic? Yeah, <laughs> they certainly were. <laughs> That's it. You picked it. So, uh, Tukaruk, beautiful part of the Mornington Peninsula. Look forward to, to seeing it. But like you said, it's almost complete. And then the project will be to go from garden fit to mountain fit. I'm sure people would love to know what is a 74-year-old who's conquered six of the highest mountains in the world do to go from going garden fit to mountain fit so you can knock off Denali before your 75th birthday? Well, there's climbing the right gradient to do the, what you're going to be doing on the mountain, so a lot of climbing, and then this extra bit of help from the physio to get make sure the quads are kind of iron hard by pushing double my weight. So I'm about 50Ks. I've got to find a gym and push 100. Yes, got you on a schedule yep. so that's something I haven't done before I've done it all al fresco but I'm having a bit of wear and tear with one of my hips and so I have to try and get the muscles strong without wearing all the cartilage out of my hip yes <laughs> yes and I know how badly you want to get to the top of that mountain before May 26 uh, 2019 Jan you're a joy to speak with and you're an absolute inspiration and if we don't interview you before you get on top of that mountain we look forward to interviewing you once you have um, accomplished the seven peaks in 2019 Uh, we're all here supporting you Um, we thank you for your support of us but as we always say may the rest of your life be the best of your life but may 2019 be the year that you finally conquer the seven peaks jan smith thank you and you're most welcome to visit um when you uh, just give me a text and i'll give you the address next time you're on the peninsula 
Yeah, look forward to it. We wish all of our listeners a very happy and healthy Christmas. For those of you that celebrate Christmas at this time of the year, we want to just wish you well. Uh, next week is episode 300 of the 100 Not Out. Damien and I will be back naturally to celebrate episode 300, but we'll reflect on 2018 and make our projections and trends for what to expect in health, wellness, and longevity in 2019. If you've loved this episode, please share it with a friend. Teach them how to listen to podcasts. Show them the podcast app on your phone or go straight to thewellnesscouch.com and open up a whole new world for you and your friends with over 2,000 free episodes over 24 shows including the foundation show The Wellness Guys thanks again for your support and until next week uh, may the rest of your life continue to be the best of your life bye for now this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.